I'm Colleen Hood with Mike Tom. Welcome to Connections. The holiday season continues with New Year celebrations upon us. It's a joyful time for most people. But it can also be a bittersweet for someone celebrating for the first time after the death of a loved one. Grief's ability to exhaust us and to shake our stability seems to be greatest on special occasions, such as holidays, according to today's guest. Kathleen Frazier joins us today. She'll help us navigate grief at the holidays and share her own experiences with us. Kathleen Frazier joins us today. The holidays are here, a fun and joyous time for a lot of people, but also a difficult time for people who are missing loved ones. And you yourself uh, lost your husband. And tell me a little bit about how you dealt with those those first holidays after your husband passed away. Well, the first holidays, I think, are the hardest uh, ones. That you're just, oh, you're grieving, you're shattered, you're exhausted from grief, you're sad. And the person who would usually go through all those feelings with you is gone. Or, they, or maybe is gone. So for me, it was a time that I needed help from others, and I'm not good at that. I'm more of a, I have to take care of this myself kind of person. But the the grief was too much, and I was forced to ask family and loved ones for help, and it was really the best thing. Um, they gave me time to myself, which I needed. They also spent some time just walking with me, not pushing me to talk any more than I wanted to, but letting me know that they were there. When you did uh, attend events or, or holidays after losing your husband, how did people treat you? Well, that's kind of a hard part. People don't know whether you want to talk about your loved one or not. And so very many times you can be there, and I was, wishing someone would talk about him and and they're thinking, oh, my gosh, if I say anything, it'll trigger her grief. Well, of course, everybody's different, and some people really don't want to talk about it, but I, I did. So one thing that helped a tremendous amount was if it involved a meal, I would pre-request, so it wasn't a shock, that we would have a toast to him, and everyone could toast him in their own name. Obviously, I called him by his name, and others called him Papa, and some called him Dad, some called him Uncle Jack. Uh, But that broke the ice, and then it let all of us who were grieving either speak about him or not speak about him, but we needed something to just let us have the big tension reduced. Why do you feel that people have uh, have such a hard time dealing with with people who are grieving, you know, it's kind of, like you said, they don't know what to do. Do they talk about uh, the person who has passed or they not talk about pe- that person? Uh, what do you think it is that, that holds them back? I don't think we have, um, either in the U.S. or Canada, a, a, like a history that we know how to deal with grief. We don't have a set of rules that this is what we do. So it's hard for us to know what to do. And I think we're so afraid of Help, you know, we can see the person's just struggling. We're so afraid to make that any worse. And also, maybe we don't want to be upset. Maybe we don't want to deal with uh, that person's pain or that person's grief. It's hard to know. Um, I do know that, that it's hard for the onus to be on the griever. But if the, but at speaking as a griever myself, if I didn't spend some quiet time trying to understand what it was that I needed and wanted, um, 
that I couldn't get that. So I, I did a lot of that kind of contemplation, what do I need, what do I want? And then I talked to my daughter or someone else who was really close and then let them do the other talking for me. You know, once once one person close to me knew what I needed or wanted, then they were kind of the liaison who could talk to other people for me and, and help it be something that would help. So a big part of the grieving process is being able to talk about it and get it out. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. If you just try to hold that grief in, it can exhaust you and actually make you feel pretty sick. But um, the... the idea of mourning is that we bring the grief outside and share it in our community or we create a ritual like lighting a candle or maybe going through a photo book or playing some music that your loved one loved. Um, just something that takes it outside of just you and allows you to mourn either with others or in a space maybe of nature or a space that, the, that you and their loved one enjoyed going to together. As someone who knows all too well how it feels to grieve during the holidays, what are some things that uh, people can do to cope with the challenges that the holidays bring? Well, one of the things I think we're feeling is we're grieving the loss of the chance to share that celebration with the person who we lost. So a big part of that is often giving in a loving way to that person. At New Year's, it's maybe just the kiss that starts the new year or the hug that starts the new year or the happy new year that we say to each other. And so we have all this love and it needs a place to go. And I think trying to find ways for that love to go somewhere helps. So many, many people that I know who are dreading a holiday find if they do some form of service, it helps. Just something nice for someone else. Um, It's almost counterintuitive, but it, it, does help. Um, for the Christmas time, uh, I know a family who brings the boughs of the Christmas tree to the cemetery, and that gives them a way to share the holiday with it's their mom that they lost. Another thing that's very helpful is making a photo book, you know, kind of sorting through your photos and picking something that, that picking various photos that are special and and making those gift books and then giving them away as gifts. Um, sometimes just saying, I don't want to deal with this holiday. I'm going to go away for a while. That That's useful too. <laughs> Lighting a candle um, for that person in the morning, letting it burn all day, gives you sometimes gives you a feeling of their presence. I'm a big fan of toasting the loved one, um, even with water or juice, just um, something that says, oh, yeah, we love you and we miss you. Um, giving a gift or a donation in their name, that's something that's helped me a lot. My husband's first wife died, and he always gave a book to our local library on her birthday. So I continued that uh, tradition for him, and that help me. What about people that are are hosting an event that a griever may be attending? What are what's some advice that you have um, on on how to treat those people because like we discussed earlier a lot of the time we don't know what to do. I think one thing to do is just ask them, what would you like to have happen? Because um I as in my work as a bereavement group facilitator, I came across a 
lot of people who just wanted to make it through without any mention because they were afraid they would collapse. And a lot of people, I would say more, who wanted the chance to talk about their loved one. So I would ask the person, and I also would respect that they might not feel up to a lot of company. They might need a chance to slip away to a quiet place for a while, so I might let them know where that was, uh, you know, in the house. Just say, yeah, if you, if you want to get off by yourself for a little bit, there's a place you can go. Um, I would let them know that I would not be insulted at all if they didn't feel up to coming that day. You also said that we need to think about our own needs before important milestone dates. Why is that so important to do? If you think about what you need, um, you can let other people know what you need, and that helps them. But also, in my, I'll give you myself as an example. I'm a grandmother and a mother, and so I felt the need to be there for the other people who had suffered a tremendous loss my actually, my grandson was here the day that my husband died, so I couldn't be there for them at all unless I first took care of myself. Kind of like that thing in the airplane where they tell you about the oxygen mask and putting it on yourself first. If I was, if I took care of my own needs, if I gave myself time to, usually some time alone in nature was what helped me, or listening to music, or both. Uh, then I was able to be there to be present if, if they had emotions that they wanted to talk about. But without taking care of my needs, there's no way I could have been able to also be a mom and a grandmother at the time that was needed. And you managed to, to do that then and take care of yourself. Did you find that uh, allowing yourself to grieve to mourn that you became a healthier person? <laughs> yes. Yes, in that in many ways, not just the emotional and psychological. Grief is exhausting, and it hurts. Uh, it makes it hard to eat. Uh, I've lost tr- quite a bit of weight in the beginning because I could, just couldn't eat. And uh, I found that one of the best pieces of advice I received was to take naps. <laughs> and and then the spending time in nature was a tremendous help to me. Just being near, I don't know why, but being near trees or water uh, or just taking a walk was very helpful. And of course, taking a walk is good for you anyway. And as the years go on, do you find it, I I don't want to say easier, um, but are you able to deal with it, uh, the milestones and, and the holidays better as the years have gone on? Yes. Partly it's because I've had some practice, so I kind of know what works. Partly it's the longer time, the more you really know that the painful feelings will come, but they will also go. There's a thing called grief bursts where you're just kind of going through your day and some little tiny thing triggers you and you just, you're weeping and um, just overcome and those only last about a minute or two. But the first few times it happens to you, you don't know that. So those things are, are useful, just knowing that, that the feelings will come and if you accept them, they also pass. And having ways that you've already shared together um, helps. Like this Christmas when we offer a toast, it won't be a new thing. Something that we've done uh, many 
occasions, especially it's good at New Year's, is we've made a fire and we've written letters to our our loved ones. A couple more, you know, over the years have passed, so there are sometimes more letters. And then we burn the letters. And I don't have any understanding of why that feels like the messages get to them. I really don't. But but the the act of writing the letter, writing what you wish you could have said in that last year, and then releasing the letter uh, into the fire so it goes up in smoke, just has a very, very good feeling. It lets you release some of the past pain and uh, move on into maybe something new. Uh, you've put a book together called Morning and Milestones. Why did you decide to write this book? And, and tell us a little bit about the book. Well, I'll tell you first about the writing. My first husband died when my children were 8 and 11. And I just felt like I didn't do a very good job with any of those special occasions, and they were really hard. And one of the things I did not do was worry about myself first because they were 8 and 11. And I think I would have done a much better job if I had been, if I had understood to take time out to think about what, what I needed. And the main help that I needed at the time was what to do with all these events. You know, I, I didn't know when his birthday came, how to help them acknowledge his birthday, but also cope with that we weren't able to give him a present that year. So when my second husband passed away, I really wanted this book, and it wasn't there. And I would never have thought of writing it. My background is as a business professor, and I've never written anything personal in my life that I would have shared with anyone. But part of my grieving process was to attend a writing group for grievers. And I did that because I was desperate for how to cope with how I was feeling. I was really shattered. And in the writing group, I learned that I was able to write things that I wasn't able to say. I was able to discover what I was actually feeling by writing. So that got me on a track of, of writing all the time about the grieving and what was happening, and I started recording what happened on all of these special occasions and holidays. And So the book is my very personal experiences of each of these holidays and what my family and I did to make it through. And then because I know I have my own way and other people have their ways, I interviewed a number of people about what they did for their holidays. And some were completely opposite to what I did. Um, but I thought if I included a, a lot of different people, and then also in the back there's a list. So Because when you're grieving, it's hard to pay attention and read. So in the back is kind of a list of everything, every suggestion that you might have found in the book if you didn't want to have to read the whole thing. What's the response been like to the book? Well, who's going to tell me they don't like it? But the people who have contacted me all say it's been a tremendous help. And I, there's a local therapist who uses it for all of her grief book, grief groups, actually. Um, so the response has been, thank you for the most part, and, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I was feeling. Or um, I read this book three times because it just comforted me. 
Um, I, I think there's something comforting about knowing that you're not alone, that, that other people have felt the same way that you're feeling. Definitely. And that there are things you can do that might help you struggle with those feelings. So for someone who may be listening today to when, when we're airing this, um, and they're dealing with something similar to this, they're dealing with the grief of a loss of a loved one during the holidays and they can't see that light or that they're not alone, what would you tell them? Oh, that's an interesting question. I have a tendency to listen first before I know what I would tell someone. So that would be hard um, because I don't think it's one thing for everyone. But um, I would, I guess, tell them that they will be able to find a way to incorporate this loss into who they are and find a new way of living, but to be very, very patient with themselves and let it take the time that it needs to take. Let the tears come if the tears need to come because they're an expression of the love that you had and maybe to find any way that you can to express that love out into the world um, and that, that that may bring you some solace. Not only have you lost one husband, but you've lost two husbands. How can you deal with the grief of that and continue to go on and help others out there, which which amazes, amazes us here? Well, in the beginning, um, there was help from family. I, I, My second husband was really thought to be the picture of health. He died very suddenly. And uh, I just was shattered, as I said. So one of my daughter would do things like come to the store with me to act as a buffer zone because things would happen like people who were kind of on the margins of my life, who I maybe hadn't seen in a couple of years, would want to walk up in the store and say, oh, I just heard, and then hug me. Well, that was the last thing that I was going to be able to handle. You know, give me a hug, I would have been on the floor in a puddle. So she would kind of give me a little buffer zone, and that that helped a great deal. Um, I think maybe sometimes the first major loss if you live through it and you survive and you figure out a way to build a life again, that lets you know you can survive the second one. Where can we find out more info about you and your books, Kathleen? Um, well, I, the book is called Morning and Milestones, and it has a website, morningandmilestones.com, or you can just go online at whatever bookseller you usually buy books from, and you can find it that way. It's on quite a few. The website has some blog posts, that um, were made about things that happened after the book was done. And it has a couple of book trailers and some reviews. So you can, the reviews are actual reviews, so you can use those to decide whether you think it might be a book that would help you. Well, big thanks to Kathleen for helping us think about this important topic. Don't forget to subscribe to the Connections podcast with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find it at podcastfield.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcasts from. We'll talk to you again on Connections.